Welcome to the Super Sentai Brothers. This is episode 29 of A View to a Kaku Ranger, the internet's best and only podcast dedicated to Ninja Sentai Kaku Ranger. Every week we watch an episode of the show, we share our thoughts with you, the listeners. My name is Matt J. With me as always is my co-host and brother Dave. Dave, how you doing today, bud? Not bad, man. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting prepped. Spring break is coming to an end. Getting ready to go back to work. Always could use, you know, like any vacation... I would have loved like another couple of days. Right, you need like that sort of secondary wind down time on your vacation. Right, right, right. Well, like I said last time, because I was going so crazy right before break, I have basically spent all break doing all of the things that I should have been doing the weeks beforehand. And so now all that stuff is actually done and I can actually take a break, but I have to go back to work on on Monday. But it's cool. It's cool. My house is clean. That's exciting. Like my house is clean. All my laundry's done. <laughs> right. Because I'm an old man and these are the things that like bring deep joy and satisfaction to my life. Like my laundry's all done. Uh, you know, it brings deep joy and satisfaction to my life, Dave. Is what is an is episode it? of Ninja Sentai Cocker Ranger. <laughs> uh, today we are watching episode 29. It's called History's First Super Battle. Um, I don't know what all the battles we have been seeing in the previous 28 episodes were, but apparently this is the first super one. But Dave, before we get into that, uh, shining in the heavens, there are five stars. What is our first star of the week? So our first star of the week, Matt, is something that's actually been a while in coming. In, in, for Christmas, my wife Beth got me tickets to go see the show. The show wasn't until last week. So we finally went and saw my Christmas present show. And what it was, it's a group of traveling Shaolin monks who are like raising money for the monastery slash like cultural ambassadors for China as a show. Okay. Yeah, and so we just went down to the playhouse, and it was two hours of Shaolin Kung Fu demonstrations. They that had, like, they were amazing. pulling out weapons. They did, like, some, they did some choreographed fights. They just did some, like, crazy acrobatics. They did some cool, like, you know, like, iron body, like a dude, uh, like, balanced on spears. And, you know, like, they broke some cement on a guy's chest, which... The breaking the cement on the guy's chest, like, is very cool, but I've seen enough, like, Discovery Channel things to know that, like, while that is very neat, it's not like, oh my gosh, that man isn't human. It's like, well, no, that's, he's fine. I mean, but, on the other hand, maybe you saw a superhero. Maybe I saw a superhero. Let's it just, let's just live way. in the moment, Dave. Yeah, There's well, no dude, listen. this. Listen, everything else they were doing was so mind-blowingly cool. It was just like, oh, you're doing them? Well, okay, that's neat, I guess. But like, come on, let's get to the really amazing stuff. And here's the incredible thing. What's the incredible These thing, dudes, babe? I mean, okay, it was all incredible. But here's the, here's the danger of these dudes. Is that they were so good 
at what they were doing, that it made you look at them and just be like, well, that doesn't look, I mean, obviously, you know, like I'm not that flexible or whatever, but like, that, that doesn't look that hard. They, they look so easy. Like, I'd They're just kind of doing it. Little, but I could do that. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, no, no, no. No, do please just remember that these guys have spent like literally their entire lives doing this. But they're so like in tune with their own like physicality that the way that they do it, it look they just look like they're floating. They're just kind of like hanging out and they like jump and they like jump four feet in the air and it doesn't look like anything. And then you think about your own body and like the idea of trying to jump two feet in the air. And you're like, ah, I don't know if I could do that. Uh, dude, but, I, I have a similar, I mean, not the same, obviously, because we're talking about very different things. But um, I've been thinking a lot about professional wrestling because it is WrestleMania weekend. Yeah, we're going to go to our buddy Josh's place tomorrow. Watch some mania. It's going to be very exciting. The showcase of the immortals. But um, like, it's the same thing. Like, I'll watch that and watch people do like crazy, like, like seemingly impossible feats of athleticism and think like, oh, boy, I should. <laughs> I, should <laughs> I, I should stop watching this and go take a walk gym. at least. <laughs> Um, yeah, man. So it was a super, super cool show. It was like one night only in Cleveland, like they're touring around. But if you ever get a chance to go see a show like that, it was uh, totally, totally worth it. It was super, super fun. So what, Matt, is our second star of the week? Second star of the week, Dave, is that last night for the first time in, I don't know, man, like six, eight months, like a good long time, uh, we finally got back together with a bunch of our old gaming friends and played some good old Dungeons and Dragons. It was Man, it was so good. Man, I forget. Okay, because I love like a bunch of different RPGs. And I don't know that D&D is my favorite RPG. It's not. It's not. Mage is my favorite RPG. But I sometimes forget like just how good Dungeons and Dragons is. There's so, and it's not just that like it's a well designed game, which especially the fifth edition is a well designed game, but it's also that like there's a sort of purity of the experience of doing Dungeons and Dragons. Like, there's not any weird stuff. You don't have to like get into like a weird brain space for it. You just sit down with your friends and you play Dungeons and Dragons, and it's great. Yeah, and you just you pick your class and you do the thing, and yeah, it's great. Although what is interesting about the way that we're playing this one is we're doing, like, a different style of game than we normally do. Uh, it's yes. It's called the, what is it, the West Marches style of campaign, Dave? Yeah, I think there's another name for it as well. But West Marches is the name of the campaign that the dude and group who kind of propounded this style of D&D, like, that was their game. It was called the West Marches, so it's been, it's called the West Marches style game. And it's super, super fun. And the focus of it is much less maybe linear story. It's like open world D&D, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it, which is kind of weird to explain because it's like any Dungeons & Dragons game is theoretically open because there's no like, there are no constraints other than like what you put on it. But the idea of this game is that like, okay, the the guy who's running the game comes up with a sort of general like one specific starting point and then he gives you a map with a couple of objectives and then the onus is really on the players to do a lot more of like the collaborative world building around which like the like the dungeon master can put 
a story into it. Uh, it's it was very fun. I'm really looking forward to trying it out. Yeah, further. there's a much bigger focus on kind of improvisational storytelling and world building than there is on the this sort of Dungeons and Dragons, like throwing fireballs and swinging swords. And so, you know, we were like wandering around this tower that is the locus point of this whole story. And we were just sort of like making stuff up as we went. Like, where are you going? Oh, to the clockwork guild's quarter or like whatever. And then it's a very strong, like, yes and style of storytelling. Where like, once somebody says it, it's just, it's just out there. And you can't take it back and you can't like contradict it. It just kind of exists. And the story continues to build around that. Uh, we only had our first session, but it, we're having a ton of fun. It's super, super cool. It's just, it's just great to be back in that particular saddle. Um, but Dave, what is our third Star of the Week? So our third Star of the Week, Matt, is that The Fate of the Furious, the eighth movie in the Fast and the Furious franchise, which, is coming out. Which, for reasons I cannot fathom is not being written out as like the letter eight and the I'm sorry the letter f and the numeral eight for the word fate in fate of the furious the fact yeah, that I have that's not insane. seen that written down is maddening yeah that's a real missed opportunity on somebody's part like, but anyways to know that when the movie was being pitched that's what it was and someone decided that they had to like pull back from it but it's yeah, just almost definitely un- some some awful unconscionable stick in the mud decided that that was the case. But this movie is coming out pretty soon, and producer Mark is a giant fan of the Fast and the Furious movies. I actually was a fan of them in theory, in that I like all the people that are in them and I love action movies, but I hadn't ever seen them. Just like I just hadn't gotten around to seeing them. I am in the exact you same know? spot. Yeah. And so we we were like, well, we got to go see Fate of the Furious, but we really need to see the other movies beforehand. And so we are doing our best to pack all these in. And the other day we went, we were at your place and we we're hanging out and we we're like, well, let's, we're going to watch Fast and the Furious, which I had never seen. The original OG 2001 Fast and the Furious. And boy, yeah, so- boy, howdy, if you have never seen that movie or if it's been a while since you've watched it. It is such a 2001 movie. It's hilarious. It's, yeah, it's it's super, super dated. Be, like, anything that tries to ride, like, the bleeding edge of coolness is always going to be super dated. Because, like, what's cool is so bizarre, oftentimes. Like, what's it, like, the height of coolness is often so out there, and it changes so quickly that you can't, like... It doesn't last. Like, what was amazingly cool in 1993 is... Okay, well, what's amazingly cool in 1993 is actually circling back around. But what was amazingly (laughs) cool in, like, 1987 is comical now. And was comical in 1988, probably. And this movie very much falls into into that vein. And also, everybody in it is so young. They're so young. Oh my gosh, Vin Diesel looks like a teenager. Like a skinny teenager. I mean, not okay, skinny, relatively, skinny, but compared to yeah. how he looks now. Yeah, relatively skinny. So, yeah, it's just, it's a it's a really fun movie. There are a couple of weird things about it. And the first weird thing about it is that... Oh, by the way, I guess is... spoilers for the 2001 uh, dr- car driving movie, The Fast and the Furious. Yeah, so the first thing about it is... 
it's only like half action movie. It's like half action movie, half car talk. Like, if you are not a car dude, there are some fairly big spaces in this movie where they're just going to be talking about stuff. And you're like, I have... It may as well be sci-fi. Like, they're just throwing out sci-fi gibberish. But my understanding is, is that everything they are saying is extremely accurate. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they didn't... They All the car stuff in that movie is, like, not messing around. It is all 100% accurate and like works and makes sense that is hilarious no my uh, when they were talking about that stuff my brain just went to the star wars place where like they were describing how they were putting their spaceships together and they knew what all the terms meant and i was just willing to accept it i had no idea that they were in any way accurate nope no 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 those things are all totally real here's the other really weird thing about that movie and again i don't know spoilers um the main characters, like Vin Diesel and all of his buddies, they are straight up the bad guys. I mean, they're not like, the worst guys. They're not the worst guys, but they are they are definitely the bad guys. And not in like an Ocean's Eleven style, like they are like a band of lovable rogues who's stealing from other like, bad people slash thieves slash, like, mobsters, and so it's sort of, like, a moral wash. They're just straight up the bad guys. Like, Paul Walker's character is investigating a group of thieves and who are just stealing from, like, truckers. They're just stealing DVD. They're not even stealing anything, like, amazing. Well, I mean, Dave, it's 2001, so the fact that they are stealing DVD players and digital cameras was amazing. Well, okay, yeah, but they're not stealing, like like, crazy super-powered cars. They're literally just, like, hijacking trucks and stealing expensive electronics. And so, like... And, you know, you're sort of going through the movie and it's just like, well, is it them? Like, are our heroes the bad guys that Paul Walker is investigating? Are they not? And then you find out that, yes, in fact, they are. And there's no redeeming, like, ah, those truckers were crooked and we're, like, giving back to the people. It's literally, like... Those guys had stuff, and we wanted that stuff. And so we stole it from them with our fancy cars and excellent driving. Yes. I mean, I guess the redeeming moment comes in these subsequent seven movies, but there, there was definitely yeah, a guess. moment watching this one where I thought, this is not the way I expected this film to end. Well, yeah, be like, it makes sense. Like, in the subsequent movies, yes, but they did not know that there were going to be more movies. Right. This movie is just about some thieves and again, they're not even, like, they're fun, because it's, like, Vin Diesel and stuff, but they're not even, like, lovable rogue thieves. They're just straight-up stealers. And <laughs> it was a very, it was, like, a disconcerting moment. Anyway, the movie was fun. Like, I'm glad oh, yeah. they made another seven. Uh, and I look forward to watching them all, but it was sort of a weird experience. But, Dave, um, speaking of very long projects that have a sort of payoff in the end... That is, uh, once you finally get there, very satisfying. What is our fourth star of the week? So, Matt, cast your mind back to May of 2013. Okay, see, May of 2013. Um, yeah. I was in my 20s. I was living yeah. in an attic apartment that occasionally had squirrels sort of like running around in the crawl spaces. Yeah. So, May, so almost... About a month shy of four years ago, I kickstarted the deluxe 
third edition of the role-playing game Exalted. And I, okay, listen, first of all, I love Exalted. I've only played it like a handful of times because like nobody ever wants to play it with me for reasons I don't fully comprehend because it's super, super rad and cool. But it's like, it's like my beautiful white whale of gaming. I super want to play this game. I kind of dig and love everything about it. And I was just like, all right, Red, like I am going to, I'm going to kickstart this game. And this was the first big Kickstarter, the first or one of the first really big Kickstarters that Onyx Path, who are the people who now publish all the White Wolf role-playing game properties. So like Vampire, Mage, Werewolf, Exalted, and like a couple others. And it was the first really big one they did. And so I kickstarted it and they raised like almost $700,000 to like put this book together. It was a very big campaign. It's a, it was a huge campaign and the book ended up gigantic. It's like an 800 page book. It's enormous. <laughs> and I know that it's 800 pages because it just arrived. I got it like a week ago. Wow. Yeah, it was, I almost, I almost had really hoped that they would just like slow roll it. Cause like, listen, man, we're already almost four years deep. So that you could say it was just four full years. They didn't. But uh, I did. I finally got this book. It's like, dude, it's like bound in white leather with like gilt edges and like a bunch of cool bookmarks. And I got a uh, game teller screen. Oh, nice. And like everything about this book is it's stunning. Like it's the, the print is beautiful and like the paper is like heavy and glossy and all of this stuff. But for real, this game, this Kickstarter took four years to deliver. That is... And I just... Like, like I'm like, glad that you finally like got it. They kept updating us. But, like, getting a kick... Like, if something takes that long, there's this sort of sense that I get, like, this is just never going to happen. And, like, despair sets in. You know, like, that very specific well, Kickstarter despair... Like, if it yeah, goes well, okay. way too long in between updates and you think, like, oh, my gosh, this is just completely falling apart. This is it. They're never going to do it. No, they updated, like, they send out updates, like, every, I want to say, like, every two weeks. So, like, I knew what was happening. Or maybe, like, once a month or something. I forget. So, but, like, every, like I knew once what a month was happening. in the last four years? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're up to update, like, 123 or something. So, like, they kept us apprised of what was happening. There just was a degree to which I thought, like, well, they're just going to update forever, and it's never actually going to be done. And, like, that's just my life. But they did. They finally sent it out, and it's super, super cool. And uh, I'll probably never play it, because, again, nobody ever wants to play Exalted. But I am very excited. I am very excited to have it and uh, and to sit down and read it. Well, see, now, so now you've got now... two problems, Dave. Because now, not only do people not want to play Exalted with you, they also don't want to read an 800-page book first. Uh, and so you've really only made things more difficult for yourself. But you do have a lovely book. But I do have a lovely, lovely book, Matt. So what, uh, speaking of things, games that are long overdue, what is our fourth Star of the Week? Dave, I know we said we were never going to make it a star again. Um, but I, I, I'm sorry, I have to go back on that promise. Because I finally beat Fallout 4. And I oh, know, nice. I know that in the year 2017, that is not like exciting news for most people. Um, you, no, yeah, it is not. But uh, I but... finally just did it, and it was great. I love that game. I know it's a really good ending, it all the isn't time. it? 
Anyway, so it was like, I, I had been sort of, I do this thing where I get like 90% of the way through a game and then I just stop because I kind of don't want it to be over. And so instead yeah, of enjoying the ending, I just let it sort of sit there forever until I forget about it. And so I only finish like, I don't know, maybe a quarter of the video games that I ever start. That is, that is a thing that Beth does too. Like I said, and I don't, like I understand, I guess in theory, but experientially that makes very little sense to me. I also, I, I do it with some other things. Like sometimes I'll like not read the last few issues of like a comic series. Anyway, that's not really what I'm uh, here to chat about. What I am here to talk to you about is the joy of waiting like a year and a half to play a video game. Because, dude, guys, it's... I know it's exciting to buy new video games, but you don't have to. Those games are still there next year. Um, and once you sort of go through one cycle of waiting for video games, you don't have to do it again. You're just a year and a half behind, and then you get to play all the same games everyone else did, but you get like, they're like half off. You buy a used one. It's amazing. Yeah, you buy it used. This is like the Marvel Universe theory of, of doing things. Is that the Marvel, Marvel Unlimited... Unlimited. Yeah, you just, you know, like, once you get six months behind, then it's all new to you. And you're just getting it, like, kind of, not for free for free, but basically for free. Yeah, and especially because people games, put out, like, you know, like, bonus editions that already have all the DLC included. Yeah, especially for, like, those giant RPGs that we love to play. It's, like, and particularly, like, Bethesda, I love you guys, but, like, y'all put out buggy games. So, if you wait... All the bugs are patched and like all the DLC comes out because like, let's be real, man, all the DLC, particularly for Bethesda games, is so much better if you're, if it's just all there all at once. Oh yeah, because once you've beaten the game, going back and doing an extra mission is kind of like a waste of your time. Which I, yeah, listen, like I'm sure we talked in... about that when we talked about us playing or you playing Yeah, the no, DLC. we definitely have. We don't need to again. But for real, like life pro tip, just wait, man. Not just, you don't have to be like that and wait a year and a half, but just wait for like six months. Wait for six or seven months. Get that game cheap. Everything's going to be patched. All the bugs. Some people are going to have written probably some really cool mods for it. This Okay. It's the way to go, man. This is all true, but I will say in closing that I really wish I was playing Breath of the Wild right now. Like, not even right now today, like right now instead of talking to you doing this show. Oh, well, okay, that's a different thing. That's a Nintendo game. Nintendo games don't have bugs, like, basically ever. They're fine. Because Nintendo is the only company in the world, aside from maybe, like, CD Projekt Red, that actually puts out finished games. Right, and they like, only the game put out, just... like, three games. But those games are amazing. Yeah, but those games are, like, actually 100% done when they put them out, and then the game is just done, and you can just play it. So Nintendo, don't even worry about Nintendo on that front, Matt. You're good. Okay. But for like, you know, basically everybody else. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have been talking about the stars for way too long. I just looked at the time. Um, so it is time to take Ooh, a break. Hey, and boy, we'll howdy. be wow. right back with episode 29. Okay. Welcome back. So we have just finished watching episode 29 of Ninja Sentai Kaki Ranger. And uh, dude, it's a good end. I don't know if I would... Listen, it's called History's First Super Battle. Um, and there is a super battle in this episode. It does not strike me as particularly more or less super than previous battles we've seen. Yeah, 
Nor is it history's first super battle. It's just... I, okay, it's not a great episode title. No, but... actually, the last couple of episode titles, they've been messing around with me. Because historically, Super Sentai titles are just the name of the thing that happens in the episode. To the point where, like, it'll give you spoilers to the episode if you just know what the title is. But these last couple of episodes haven't been doing it, and they've kind of been going the opposite direction. Which is like, no, 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 we'll just say something, and then do, like, a kind of unrelated thing in the episode itself. Just to see how they like it if we mess around with them that way. This forces uh, me to reconsider the idea that they did just write all the titles of these episodes before they filmed anything, and are just desperately trying to make it fit in a way that makes any kind of sense. And listen, if that's the case, they have been doing an amazing job. Yeah, they really have been doing a pretty bang-up job. But let's get let's get into this episode. So, the opening recap from last episode, cuz if you uh this is a two-parter, they they give us like a solid 2 minutes of the last week's episode as the recap. Enough that I actually was like was like, "Wait, is this a recap?" No, 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 this is not a recap. This is just new fight. Oh, no, wait, no, it is just a recap. <laughs> so they they just kick it off. Uh, if you remember from last episode, they ended things in a flying jump kick. And then the first frame of this episode is just them completing that same flying jump kick. It's pretty rad. And, and they just get point, right like, into it. Like, Oh, yeah, they are getting straight into it. Because if you remember the previous episode, Jiraiya had been sort of fighting defensively. But now that he knows that um, Gali Sensei was the man who murdered his father, Jiraiya is done messing around. He is going on, like, full attack mode. Yeah, so he pulls out, like, a ninja rope with a grappling hook, and he wraps up Gali Sensei, and he does this rad move where he, he like, pulls Gali Sensei and, like, launches Gali Sensei over himself, and then he, Jiraiya, like, jumps up, and does like a flying bicycle kick into Gali Sensei's midsection as he is flying over. It's uh it's a really cool move. It's great. And so they fight for a little bit longer, and this whole time, Jiraiya is saying, like, like he's just asking, he's like, what is up? Like, what is going on? You are like number two karate dad. You were like so helpful to me, like you taught me martial arts. Like, what? Why? Why did you kill my dad? Like, what is going on? And because the remember, way. yeah, Gali Sensei took Jiraiya in after he killed his dad. Yeah, so Jiraiya is very confused by this. There's a couple of high points in this fight I want to briefly mention, which is that uh, Gali has these, like, Wolverine claws that we referenced earlier. Uh, yes. Apparently those Wolverine claws have the ability to shoot purple lightning, which is great. They sure do. Um, and as in the fight, Jiraiya is getting the upper hand, Gali sort of like quick turns it around on him and starts mocking him. Like, dude, like, calm down. You can't win a fight with anger. Didn't I teach you better than this? Jiraiya is not happy to hear any of that. Yeah, this is kind of a crazy thing because throughout this fight, what we are seeing from Gali Sensei is that he he does seem to be trying to like get the best out of Jiraiya. He's goading him is what's happening. Yeah, man, that's exactly it. Like he's goading him and it's not 
Like, it's not super clear, like, what... Like, what exactly is going on? Like, he's obviously, like, he's playing on their prior relationship, and... But it's... Like, the motivation doesn't totally make sense, aside from that he's just saying, like, hey, man, come on, like, like, let's do this. Like, really, come on. Like, let's fight. Right. So Sasuke, at this point, has recovered from getting kicked in the head at the end of the last episode. Uh, I'm sorry, getting hilariously kicked in the head at the end of the last episode. Hilariously kicked in the head, yeah. And now he is sort of watching this fight from the sidelines. And instead of running in to help, he gets on his Doron Changer and he calls the other three Cockerangers like, hey, you guys all need to get here now. Yeah. So we pop back to the fight and like, again, man, this is a really good fight. It's just two dudes who are really excellent at stage martial art and probably just like real martial arts, but they're really good at stage martial arts and nobody's wearing like a giant crazy costume and they are just fighting. They're throwing like flying kicks and like flipping over each other and uh, it's totally, totally rad. It's very difficult to give the fight its proper due. Like you're just listening to us say words describing an exciting kung fu fight. But um, if you have access to these episodes, this is a great fight to watch. Yeah, they, they do a super, super good job with it. And you know who else so really loves fl- this fight is Nue. Nue is yes. like down in his like trapped cavern area and is really delighting in this fight. Like, yes, go for it. Destroy each other. It's amazing. Yeah, he's uh, he is super stoked that these guys are trying to murder each other. Like, this is kind of like, this is what he's going for. So we do get a quick shot of Suruhime getting picked up in Nekamaru by the other guys. And then we kind of like flash back to the fight. Which I really appreciated because I feel like this show very often makes the decision to not give us that little scene and then later just have them show up. And I, and so especially since for the last couple of episodes, everyone's sort of been scattered to the four winds. The fact that they actually have a brief moment of like getting the band back together was like yeah. small, but very much appreciated. Yeah, no, I dig that they took the moment to just give us that that little blip. So we cut back to the fight, and at this point they have been fighting so long and so, like, energetically, I guess, that they are no longer in the Old West town and are now fighting in, like, a train yard. Yeah, they really... Okay, I was actually, like, kind of upset about this at first. Because it was like, guys, you are not even vaguely close. Like, there's no way. Like, you were in a very specific spot... Because, like, sometimes when they shift scenes, it's like, all right, well, you were in this place and now you're in a different place. But, like, those places could be vaguely close to each other. There is no possible way that this Wild West town is anywhere close to what they did. But they did give us that both Gali and Jiraiya are super exhausted. They've got, like, more wounds on them. So I we do at least get that small comfort. It's like... All right, you guys have clearly been fighting for, like, a while. Yeah. And you have managed to shift locations here. Because by the time we catch up to them, they're both sort of, like, not collapsed, but they're definitely, like, moving slower, breathing heavier. Yeah, I think one of them does. It's either Gali or Jiraiya does, like, hit a knee, and they're just like, ugh. They really, they sell pretty hard that these guys are both pretty much at the end of their rope. Yes, but Jiraiya refuses to give up because this is the man who killed his father. 
Yeah, so he remembers his dad. We get the flashback, like, again of that same scene. Like, they're really getting their money's worth out of this 30 seconds of footage. We have seen it probably seven times. So he remembers his dad. He remembers, like, his dad dying and all of these things. And he he runs at Gali. Gali tries to shoot him with an energy blast. Jiraiya kind of, like, dodges around it slash just, like, straight runs through it, because who cares? Right. And then you he does a sweet move. want it badly enough, the best way to charge or, like, avoid an energy attack that's coming at you is to run straight at the person who is shooting you. Like, but if you really believe in your heart that you're supposed to be fighting this person, that's how you do it. That is what is happening here. Yeah, that's precise. Yeah, he just manages to, like, will his way past, past what is otherwise a direct shot. And so he drops a really cool move. I don't think we've seen it before called, it doesn't have a great name. It's just called Three Kick. But he does, like, a flying jump kick on Gali. And he, he like, bounces off and does, like, a backflip. And, like, lands on him again, and then he does it again. So, you know what he does, Matt? He does Long's head jump move from Bloody Roar. Oh, yeah, it is sort of like that. that. Yeah, he, like, jumps on a dude and kicks him, and then jumps off of that dude and backflips and kicks him again, and then jumps off the dude and backflips and kicks him again. It's awesome. And I just want to note that somewhere in here, and I was not able to sort of crack the code on it, but somewhere in that move is a three ninjas kickback joke. Um, and I just want you, the listeners, to know that I know it's there somewhere, and it's going to bother me all day. Maybe by next episode I will have figured it out, and then there's an even slighter chance that I will remember to say it. But, just so you know, I know that it's floating around. Um, oh, speaking of things that I had wanted to say and totally forgot to say, about the Power Rangers movie, there is a scene in a quarry. It's oh, the first yeah. scene where Rita... Yeah, there's a scene where Rita Repulsa, she goes to, like, find gold. In this case, it's not a quarry. It's probably, like, a mine, but, like, come on. Right. And she walks into this quarry, and I look at the quarry, and I just had a mo like, I had a brief moment of, like, oh, yeah, of course, it's a quarry, but also maybe, like, white hot incandescent rage, where I was just like, are you serious? You couldn't find it better. And I just, I literally, I just looked over at you and threw my hands up and you knew exactly what I meant, which oh, was yeah, pretty, Oh yeah, because I, at the same moment. moment, was looking over at you because Rita Repulsa walked into the quarry to summon her giant monster. Like, it yeah. was beautiful. So... And then she said, make my monster grow, which was also great. Listen, there was that a lot was of great also stuff great. in that movie. So, Jiraiya, he, like, he knocks Gali Sensei back and he, and when he does this... Gali Sensei's claw, which I thought was like much more attached to his armor than apparently it was, kind of flies off. So Jiraiya like drops down, he picks up the claw, puts it on, runs over to Gali and is about to deliver like the finishing blow. Like Gali Sensei is pretty much down for the count at this point. Okay, there is one more uh, kick in between here. So he gets the claw on, he runs over, he kicks Gali in the head. Gali falls over, and then he's going to do the finishing blow with the claw, right? A lot of this happens very quickly. I had to pause to yes. like make sure I got all the steps. The reason I wanted to make sure that I mentioned this one particular kick is not just because I have it written down and I'm sort of persnickety about making sure that I get through all of my notes. The reason is when Jiraiya kicks Gali in the face, an impossible amount of blood comes out of his mouth. Like, that dude had filled his entire mouth and possibly, like, entire digestive tract with fake blood. And when he got hit, just it all came out in a hilarious geyser. 
It looked, it was as though it was like a live action, like early 90s image comic book. That is how much blood we're talking about here. <laughs> so, and so, uh, yeah, so Gali's down and Jiraiya is about to, like I said, he's about to finish him off and he just, like he can't do it. He can't do it. It's still Gali Sensei. It's still like number two karate dad. And so he's he's overcome by emotion. He takes off the claw. Gali untransformed. So now he's just back in his his like karate gi. And he pulls out the stone necklace. Right. And Which so, if you remember from last episode, it was like the sort of friendship, like best friends bracelet thing in between like between Gali and Jiraiya. Yeah, so now it's not really clear. Like, what's going on? Was this was this whole thing a trick? Is this, like, what? Like, what's up? But Gali says, please forgive me. I've been such a fool. And now we get the explanation as to, like, what exactly is going on with this, like, whole bizarre scenario. So we cut to a So flashback. we get a flashback. And yeah. it's Gali and Gali's daughter, who I think heretofore we had not seen. Yeah, we did. Well, okay. We did see a daughter in... Oh, hold up a second. Maybe in the family photo that we saw before with with Gali and what we assumed was Jiraiya's mom and sister. Maybe that's Gali's wife and daughter. Oh. Okay, that would... I mean, you know, it like, doesn't bother me either We would have to go back way, and but... check. Yeah, we would have to go back and check, but I think that is the same. That might be the same actress playing the daughter in both shots. So now this makes much more sense. And so we see them in the car, and they're having like a nice car ride next in to the lip of a cliff that goes into a quarry. Um, yep. yep. Gali looks away from the road for a moment to like laugh at his daughter's joke, and when he turns back, they are just about to like crash into an oncoming dump truck. Yeah, he does. He manages to get into an accident with literally the only other vehicle in sight. Um, but so, this is not like a like head-on collision, like regular sort of accident. We cut from that scene of them almost getting into a wreck to Gali's car on fire flying off of a cliff and like tumbling down a hill. Yeah, it's... Uh, it, well, listen, man. It's either get creamed by that giant truck or drive off because there's only one lane and he couldn't... Yeah, but it, so I just don't there know were where two the fire came He could from. have just if he had just veered the other direction, he would have been fine. But he doesn't. He veers off a cliff. Well, I mean, he must have already been hit because his car was on fire, and that's what happens when your car gets hit. The engine catches on fire catches immediately. On fire. So we see the next scene is it's Gali himself who is fine. He's he somehow was totally okay. And his daughter, though, is in a hospital bed, and she is, like, wrapped up, and there's, like, tubes and wires and, like, everything. She clearly is in bad shape. And there's a doctor there, and the doctor says, well, I'm really sorry. There's nothing else we can do. Like, let's leave them alone for a minute. So now it's just Gali and his daughter, who is about to die. When all of a sudden, Nue, like, teleports into the room. And this yes. is where we find out sort of how far back this goes with Nue. Nue says, listen, here's the deal. Um, I, like, have the power to heal your daughter, and I will do yes. it if you promise to go kill Jiraiya's dad, who I don't think ever got a real name. He does not. 
And so, like, Gali is so overcome with grief about his daughter that, like, he kind of just, like, loses his mind for a while. He's like, yes, absolutely, I'll go do whatever. Because, like, he's yeah, my best like, friend, and so, want, like, his do guard it. will be down, and I can pull this off. Oh, by the way, the reason that uh, Nui wanted Jiraiya's dad dead is because Jiraiya's dad was a detective who had recently discovered Nui's ring of assassins and was about to expose yeah! them. Yeah! That would have been cool if we knew anything about that before. I mean, whatever. So, Nui apparently has a ring of assassins. Cool. But he says, listen, I want you, I want you to kill this guy. And so, and he said, and he does, he does. He's like, here's a, like, he does it. Yeah. We, and then we see the flashback again of, but this time we sort of see the whole scene where Gali shows up, kills Jiraiya's dad, sees Jiraiya coming and crying, sort of runs away, hides behind a car and then in that moment, his head sort of clears from like the sort of, you know, grief madness and realizes like, oh my gosh, what have I done? I've killed my friend. I've left his son fatherless. Right. Like, this is terrible. Yeah. He says like, uh, I think specifically what he says is I was so caught up in the idea of like saving my own daughter. I forgot, of course, that like your dad also had a son. You... You know, right. I, I can't believe I've done this. And so, like, that's why, like, that's one of the reasons I took you in to, like, try to make up for it. Like, you know, to try to, like, be there for you because I had taken your father away. And so, like, I trained you to, like, be a warrior in his place. And, like, that, that is the whole thing. Yeah. So now we really get it. Like, what the whole, like, what the whole thing is. And he says, listen... When Nue sent me to kill you, I hoped that you would defeat me and that, like, I would die by your hand. It, like, in some way, maybe, to, like, atone for, like, atone for this thing. Right, because apparently Gali has, since that time, been working as one of Nue's assassins. Yes. And he's been, like, going out and killing people. And Nue told Gali that if he didn't go and try to kill Jiraiya then he would, like, Nui would tell both Jiraiya and Gali's daughter about all the stuff that Gali has been up to. And so Gali said, like, listen, yeah! like, there's no way for me to get out of Jiraiya finding out about this. Like, the best case scenario for me now is that I go and I face him. And, like, maybe I can get him to hate me and kill me. And, like, he can get some sort of feelings of closure and I can sort of... Like, this can be over for me. Right. But his daughter still doesn't know, which is, like, pretty intense. Yeah, and I, like, frankly, I don't anticipate that we'll ever see that daughter again, but it is... Yeah, no, definitely you know. not. But that is, like, a pretty, like, that's a pretty hardcore piece of story. Like, you know, that's pretty cool, man. Like, no, I did this thing, but, like, I don't want my daughter to know, but I did it for her, et cetera, et cetera. So, he, he asks Jiraiya's forgiveness... And then Gali dies. But he dies at peace. In in like some way at least. So right. and he says like he's a got a sort of a, a closing like um exhortation to Jiraiya. He says, like, listen, true enemies are the people who will never hesitate to see you suffer. And these people always are like remaining hidden and like manipulating behind the scenes. 
It is your mission to like seek them out and defeat them. And then he dies. Which is, and so, which is good because like that, I think it was never like as explicit as it was in the like first two episodes of this saga. But I feel like that is sort of Jiraiya's like special mission for his hidden scroll is like his job is to like seek out hidden enemies and defeat them. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty great. It is really great. And then Jiraiya, like, you know, he starts crying because his, like, second karate dad is dead. And he stands up and starts shouting, like, Nue, I know that you're nearby. Like, come on out. Let's finish this. Yeah, so... And then New- there's just, like, an earthquake. And Nue just, like, pops up out. Which is like, dude, could you... Could you have just done that? Any time? I think he could have, but what he says is that he was hoping that Gali and Jiraiya would kill each other, and that he wouldn't have to bother. Like, that was his plan. But since it sort of went awry, now he's here, and he's gonna finish it off himself. Which, Jiraiya is totally happy to get into that fight. He's like, listen, uh, for my father, and also for Gali-sensei, like, Kakarangers are here, like, you know, go suck a lemon, it's on. Uh, Sasuke right. is also We're here at this point. You. They both transform, and like the fight is on. Or rather, the fight yeah, would be on immediately, rough. except that Nue, like from Jump Street, like grows to giant size. So yeah. they've got a little bit of a problem. So, well, they start the fight real quickly, and Jiraiya is so furious that he just attacks. It doesn't go well. No, he jumps, like he jumps up, up to be like level with um, Nui's head, and he's gonna like hit him in the face with a sword. But then Nui has like eye lasers, which was is yeah, not, so... I think, what Jiraiya was hoping. Yeah. So uh, they try to they land. He like lands hard. They pull out their kaku lasers and they try to blast with the kaku lasers. That doesn't work super well either. But w- now that like Jiraiya, like this has completed his trial, I guess. And the scroll, like, flies out of wherever it was, and it, Jiraiya gets it, and he summons God Gamer, which is his his giant beast general. And, uh, yeah, it is straight up a giant robot toad. It looks cool. It's awesome. And so... And Nui looks first at of it, all, and he's like, oh, like a, a, a super ninja animal. Like, do you think that's going to work on me? And my thought Which is, like, is, yeah, of course it's going to work on you. It worked on you two episodes ago. Yeah, like, we just did this, dude. It already worked on you. But he, so... dude, he does not even know what fresh hell is coming for him out of God Gamer. What incredible it's attacks this thing has. So God Gamer, he just, he gets around, obviously, by super jumps, which is totally rad. Just, like, jumping over And buildings. so the first attack, yeah, so the first attack that he drops is... I'm actually going to tell you about the second attack first, because the second attack is less cool. The second attack is just uh, Gammer Flamethrower, which is a flamethrower in God Gammer's mouth, which is fun, but whatever. The better, the first attack that he drops is so bananas, I don't even know how they came up with it. It's called Gammer Dynamite. And the way that it starts is God Gammer jumps up kind of close to you. And then he stops, and then the frog's mouth opens, and a ramp extends out of the mouth to the ground. That's stage one of this attack. Yeah. And then down the ramp come a bunch of tiny, relatively, god gammers. So like demigod like, gammers. 
Yeah, like a couple dozen that jump over and jump and, like, attach themselves to Nue, and then they explode. It's maybe my favorite giant robot attack we have ever seen. Just because it's it's so, like, bonkers. Okay, you know what, Matt? This is a... I think there is a frog? Like, some giant weird toad that actually does incubate its, like, tadpoles in its mouth. Oh, really? So maybe this isn't... Is is that one frog where, like, all the tadpoles are, like in crevices in its back. Like, that's some, like, weird oh, yeah. stuff, but... Yeah, I don't like to see pictures of that because it's horrifying, but I'm pretty sure there is one that does that. So maybe this god gamer, like, gamer dynamite, isn't completely out of left field? But it's, like, what? Like, that was the dig that you made? It wasn't, like, a super kick or whatever? <laughs> it's just exploding tiny god gamers. So the other rangers all arrive, it's uh, uh, Saizo, Seikai, and Tsurihime, and they all, they like run and henge, and then they all summon their god beasts. And I thought that we were going to get, I'll just tell you right now, we do not get, what is it, Daishogun Kakure? Uh, Kakure Daishogun. Kakure Daishogun. We don't get him this episode. We do get to see all of the god beasts together, though. And oh, and the rough. Falcon Zord is also up in this business. He just, like, pops in for a second, like, shoots some guns, and then flies back away. Yeah, Subasamaru is just here. He just, like, dips in. He's like, what's up, guys? Wing lasers. I'm out. But we see uh, we see some other stuff from the God Beasts. Uh, uh, God Kumard and God Logan have, like, eye blasts that they throw into the mix. Uh, God Kark, as we already know, does have, like, some sort of laser beams. Godsaruder doesn't seem to. He attacks with his same, like, double blade, like, double sword, like, jumpy slashy move. Which is a good move. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's the finisher move. And then, so Nue goes down. And Nue calls out for Daimau as he dies. Which, if you don't recall, is the leader of all of the yokai. It's like Young Noble Jr.'s boss. Yeah, Young Noble Sr., yeah, so he just Listen, he's like, I'm never going to think that's not a great joke. <laughs> um, so yeah, so then that so Nui goes down, and then, and then that's it. That's it. Nui's dead. Hooray! Yeah, it it happened sort of suddenly. Uh, but that was there was someone I was expecting to have the full robot because it was supposed to be history's first super battle. But I'm not going to complain yeah. about this fight because so much great stuff happened in it. Yeah, so the next scene is that we say, we see uh, the rangers, and they have made a cross for Gali out of just, like, raw birch, birch wood is what it looks like, and they've just stuck it in the ground. I'm assuming they just stuck it in the ground, because if it's a grave, A, it's not, like, in a graveyard, it's just kind of, like, off someplace, and also, the ground in front of it is completely undisturbed. Right, actually, so, so in there's my no... notes, I had it written down described as a, quote, hastily dug grave. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's actually a body there. Yeah, so maybe he's, he just, like, force ghosts? I don't know. But whatever it is, like, they did not they did not bury a body. But they, like, he puts flowers down, and 
Jiraiya says, like, I will not rest until we have defeated all of the Okai. It's a pretty cool moment. And Saizo's like, oh, yeah, man, that's the spirit. And they all sort of get together, like, dudes, it's great to be back. Like, I'm so happy that, like, we're all finally back together again. Um, like, it feels we've a little different times. now because, like, you know, we've all gone through these, like, trials and we're all a little bit more mature. And it's so, like, refreshing. Like, the team is back together. Like, this is great. And it's refreshing like, to me, it. too, honestly. Like, I've really liked these last couple of episodes, but seeing everyone back together is very heartwarming. It is. I dig it. Well, you know what's been really nice is that we haven't gotten a lot of, like, actual character-specific episodes in this show. Like, we've had episodes, you know, like, Seikai turns into a giant. And that's kind of a Seikai-specific episode. But it didn't really give us any insight into, like, what was up with Seikai. It was just kind of about him. And these last couple episodes, I feel like, have gotten in a little bit deeper. So, like, what is up specifically with the individual Conquer Rangers? And that, I think, is pretty cool. Very cool. And then the close of this episode is that they all, like, run over to where that floating evil island in the middle of the city is. And they just shout at Daimao, like, as long as we're here, we're never going to let you open that seal door. And also, Young Noble Jr., like, get out of here. Get Ben. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much. It's not a great taunt, but they're, you know, they're they're doing it. They're putting in the work. You know, they'll get there. Yeah, so I am, uh, man, I am super, super looking forward to the next next couple episodes. Me too. Because I think we're going to get um, Kakure Daishogun, and uh, we're super looking forward to Giant Robots. And I feel, again, that we are, like, now really getting into, like, the meat of, of Kakure Ranger. But before we finish up, Matt, we have at least one, possibly two, entries for... The creature royale. Oh, so yeah. let's start with let's start with Nue. Nue has a rad look. Like he's like a crazy like tiger snake eagle dude, which is awesome. Yes. And he sticks around for more than one episode. He's like he clearly has like a lot of stuff going on. He's got like a ring of assassins. He's got machinations. And he's like, yeah, dude, he's playing like long games. Like this is at least what, an eight-year con that he's pulling? Like, and I also would not be surprised to find out later, we will never find this out, but to find out that somehow Nue was, like, in charge of the truck that caused the accident, so then he could, like, get Gali to try and save his daughter by turning into, like, a yokai assassin. You know what I'm saying? Oh, dude, there is a whole... I feel like Nue is a dude who schemes. Yeah, there is a whole other show that does not exist, but could exist, about Gali Sensei's daughter, like, now that she is a teenager discovering, like, her dark past and using, like, the yeah. yokai powers that were used to revive her and, like, channeling those into, like, crazy kung fu powers to fight against the yokai. Uh, yeah, I would watch that. I mean, that just popped into my head, but, I mean, listen. 100% watch I'd that watch show. It. So, okay. So, where does Nue fall on, on the creature royale? I think he's pretty rad, man. Yeah, because the thing about Nue is he... Listen, I'm not going to put him, like, at the top of the list. Um, no. But I think he's going to go pretty high because his position is not, like, enemy, like, monster of the week. He is a lot more, like, nemesis, you know? Yes. I actually would... I would have liked to see him stick around just a little bit longer because I feel like he had a lot of promise. Yeah, but he doesn't, too. as far as we know. Like, he pretty much he seems to be dead. So, okay. 
do we like him more than Iron Mask Choryu? I that's the big like for to me Iron Mask Choryu is like the gatekeeper of like the top chunk of this list. And I think for me the answer is no. Oh really? I do I don't think I like Nue specifically better than Iron Mask Choryu. I I honestly I might I'm like looking at the rest of this list and it's like Sarugami, the Ninja Monkey, Umibozu, the Navy Monster. And then we're getting down into like the Shooting Doji Brothers, Oborogumura, Shironiri. I, I think I might like him actually like, I might put him just below Iron Mask Choryu. Okay, I, I was going to put him a little higher than that, just because I really, they gave him a lot of history. And anytime that one of these characters is an actual character, that always does a lot for me. Like, listen, apartment building dimension is amazing because it's an apartment building that stands up and then fights a giant robot. But like, Nui has had like years long schemes and rings of assassins and like do not forget that he transformed two of our heroes into Kappa. Like it was Ooh, not just the Jiraiya stuff. There true. was also all of the Seikai Saizo stuff. Okay, Matt, those are all very, very good points. I'm just gonna counter with this one last thing. Is all of that cooler than Kung Fu Darth Vader? Well, that's tough. Because the thing is, I'm not... That's what I'm saying! I, okay, Iron Mask Choryu has always been a very difficult sticking point on the list. Because I'm not, I'm willing to like accept that Iron Mask Choryu might be better than Nui. But I definitely think that Nui is better than, like, Heatwave Hood. Who is two spots above Iron Mask Choryu. Now, I know Heatwave Hood well, is there because Wave... that episode was so good. But this was also a very so good amazing. episode. Like, a super good episode. These last two have been. Okay. Okay. So do we say... Okay. Well, let's let's not think about Iron Mask Curry for like a hot second. Do you like him better than Apartment Building Dimension? I do, actually. Do you like him better than... Let's get crazy, man. Do we like him better than... Do we like him better than the Ver Birdcage Vagrant? Um... Dude, I'm going to be honest. I kind of do. Wow, that's strong. That's strong. I don't know, man, dude. The Birdcage Vagrant, he's a dude. He likes to drink. He's got, like, that crazy golden demon leg. He's got a demon leg, and he's got an extra-dimensional, like, realm inside of him where his bird lives. And he's got a cool Yeah, van. man. And he had, ah. Uh, okay, maybe just below Birdcage Vagrant, above, um... Tsuchigumo, the spider monster? Yeah. How do we feel about that? Ooh. Or would you yeah, rather put him between Tsuchigumo and Zashiki Warashi? Yeah, that makes more sense to me. I like that. Okay. So now the question is, does Gali Sensei go on the list? I think he has to. I mean, he transforms, he shoots purple lightning. Um, he killed Jiraiya's father. He is yeah, like a no, yokai assassin. I'm with you, dude. I think, uh, yeah, that I'm with you. I think he belongs on the list. I just, you know, I wanted to... Yeah. I think if Jin goes on the list, then Gali goes on the list. And Jin's at the top okay, of the list. Okay, man. So. so, where does Gali Sensei go on this list? Here's what I want to say. He's got a sweet, sweet look. He's got an amazing story. 
He's a lot. I mean, there's there's kind of shades of an Iron Mask Choryu, like, oh, you were my dad, but you betrayed me, but then you turned good at the end. Like, I was gonna say they're you know, actually kind sort of, of comparable. Yeah, they're sort of comparable. Uh, of the two looks, it's hard to say which I like better. They're both super rad, and they're very, very different. You know what I mean? Like, they're both really excellent examples of what they're doing, but they're obviously doing, like, very different things. Right. So, I will say, okay, I I like him better than, I'm going to throw out Kabuki Boy. I like him better than the Kabuki Novice. Okay. And it's still, like, dude, the moments with Gali Sensei are strong moments. Like, both of those dudes pull out some, like, excellent emoting as, like, what all is happening with these characters. I, dude, I'm looking, like, really high. I know we, like, just put Nui up there. Dude, these have been really good episodes. Okay, do you like them better really or worse than Nui? I, well, man, that's tough because they are so tied together... I know, and we had a similar problem with um, ranking Jin separately from the like Hungry Wolf Demon. Yeah. Okay. Do you so, like him better man. or worse than the Hungry Wolf Demon? I like him better. I like him better than the Hungry Wolf Demon. Okay, right above the Hungry Wolf Demon is Media Magician, um, who had like he was only in one episode, but he had a full like love story and redemption arc and all of that stuff. Is that more or less? Uh, valuable to you than the sort of like second karate dad like guilt thing man that's tough no I think I like media magician maybe a little bit better than Gali sensei okay well then let's put Gali sensei right between media magician and the hungry wolf demon which puts him at number 10 on our list yeah all right man well I think that is it for us. Yep, that is going to do it for another episode of A View to a Cocky Ranger. Before we finish up here, I'd like to remind you all you can email the show at supersentaibrothers at gmail.com when you get any updates on future episodes uh, or check out the things we're talking about on Twitter, we are at supersentaibros. If you like the show, please remember shining in the iTunes view section, there are five stars. Uh, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. That's what's going to help new people find the show. Um, that and just telling people that you think who might like it that it exists and that they might like it too. Uh, anyway, Super Sentai Brothers are a production of Retrograde Orbit Radio. If you want to check out any of the other great Retrograde Orbit Radio shows, you can find them all at RetrogradeOrbitRadio.com. Once again, we're the Super Sentai Brothers. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. And we'll see you next week for the greatest show on Earth.